welcome back to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. When you tuned into the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo to watch the United States represent in rhythmic gymnastics, you were privy to today's guest in her element. Izzy Connor represented the United States in the Olympics at age 21, but her background in both rhythmic and artistic gymnastics goes back nearly two decades. I tried like a bunch of different sports, but the one that I really stuck with was dance and gymnastics. So I started going to like baby classes when I was like three. Um, But I didn't start doing rhythmic until I was about like eight years old. And I kind of like quit for for like half a year and then came back and I didn't start competing until I was 10. Um, So that's like pretty late for my sport. 10 years old is late for a sport which requires flexibility and nimble footing. Um, Most of my teammates started competing when they were like six around then. Um, Just because we have to be so flexible that generally like we start training, you start training that flexibility when you're really, really young. Um, And it's just, it's just one of those sports. A lot of like gymnastics or dance based sports start really, really early on. so yeah, I definitely was probably the I was I was definitely the latest person to start competing and also the latest person to make national team on national team. Level 10, the most elite, is normally acquired by age 15. But Connor was in the senior ranks age 16 and up before she joined the level 10 competition. Connor's entrance into the gymnastics world began with artistic, but she found she was better suited for the aspects of the rhythmic world which incorporates props or apparatuses in its routines. Imagine a sector of gymnastics similar to artistics floor routines, but in groups of gymnasts. Artistic is more so like large muscle group strength. Um, I mean, they use like, you know, beam bars, floor, vault, all of that. We are just on a carpet and we use apparatus, the apparatus is ball hoop ribbon clubs and then juniors have rope but they took that out for seniors um and we're more like flexibility based and like small muscle group strength um there's a lot of like control and also the main difference is uh we all of our routines are set to music so everything has to be um has to have a lot of musicality and you know grace when connor didn't make the united states national team the first two times she tried out The thought ran through her head that maybe, even after all these years of dutiful practice and passion for her craft, she simply wasn't good enough. That's when the self-doubt began to creep in. Had she given up the entirety of her life thus far for something that wasn't destined to work in her favor? Any high-level rhythmic gymnast is going to be training at least four hours a day, um, probably six days a week. that's like the norm. So, you know, you're doing your homework on the way to practice and staying up until like 2 a.m. finishing your homework. Um, normally you don't really practice before school. That's more like a figure skating thing, but um, definitely no real social life. Um, your social life is your friends at the gym and hopefully they're good ones. Um, you know, you definitely miss out on, I mean, in really in any sport being an elite athlete at a young age you miss out on a lot of like core childhood experiences you that's just what you have to sacrifice to get where you want to be um and you know yeah so yeah that's pretty much what your life looks like it's just eat sleep gym repeat 
In 2017, Connor made the executive decision to move from Manhattan Beach, California to Chicago to train at the national team's gym. While her father stayed in California for his job, Connor and her mother moved to the city, where she began working out at North Shore Rhythmic Gymnastics Center. It was kind of the year that I, I was going to quit if I didn't make national team, and I didn't make individual national team, and I kind of knew that that was kind of a long shot. I did make it in the top 11 in the country, but um, at the time, now it's top top 12, I think, but at the time it was only top eight. So um, I knew that going to group national team was my only chance of making national team, and luckily, um, you know, I talked to the head coach of group at national championships and like they wanted me to come try out and everything. And like it kind of just opened all of the doors to like beyond even my dreams when I was younger. The the top training gym, well, the gym that trains the group, the national team group, because we all have to train together is North Shore Rhythmics in Chicago. And um, and so I originally am from Manhattan Beach, California, and I had lived there all my life and my dad works in LA. So um, my dad had to stay in California while I moved with my mom to Chicago and continue my senior year online in school. And, you know, I already knew that I would have to put off college for at least two years um, because I wanted to try and make it to the Olympics. Um, and, you know, it's it was just a brand new place. And um, it was it was a lot of work to get like my school to be okay with this because they made like a special exception for me and that was something that a lot of my teammates struggled with was when when they were still in in person like normal high school while um we were like training and competing internationally they had to get permission to like leave school which is a lot harder than you would think it would be when you're a national team athlete competing for the country like you know they're doing their homework in italy after we compete and leaving school for two weeks and coming back and having like a final exam so it's a lot to balance and um it also my life just looked very different because i was solely now just doing gymnastics like all the time like you know my training hours increased i was training like six to eight hours a day six days a week um and working with more you know physical therapists sports psychologists it just like kind of really just increase the amount of gymnastics that I'm going to have experienced in my life. North Shore Rhythmics welcomed Connor in, and suddenly the 17-year-old was working with a group of seven girls, trying to qualify for the Olympics in what would become four years. We always train all together. Um, unless you have like an injury and you go and work with a PT and you have to do exercises, we are always training all together. Um, so there's, there, there's only five people who compete at one time, but our team consists of like seven to eight people just because injuries and stuff um so you're also in a constant battle to be in the routine sometimes it's more than eight people but um um so typically like we'd come to the gym do a couple pt exercises whatever we needed to do and then we'd start warm up together so we do everything synchronized just because our the base of our sport is like being synchronized with each other um you know, we go to the bathroom together, we do everything together so that we can stay as together as possible. Um, and so we'd start warm up that would go on for about like 40 minutes. And then we'd stretch for like 10, 15 minutes, which is like, you know, doing over splits and flexibility things. Um, we'd check our elements in our routines, which are just like body difficulties. Um, and then we'd start taking apparatus and doing our running our routines with music. Um, and then we normally have like a cool down at the end of training and then usually more PT to keep just to keep our body healthy. 
Um, so yeah, that's normally what our like typical day would look like. A really interesting thing is that um, this is still sort of during practice, but um, one of the ways that we would know that like, you know, after we like maybe made a new routine and we would know that it was starting to like get in a good place when um, at the end of the routine, when we finished it, we would all be breathing synchronized. So like when we uh, are training together, like when we're training a routine, our, our breath synchronizes like without us knowing. Um, it's like really crazy. I remember the first time it happened, we like looked around and we were like, it's crazy. Connor, an only child, now had a built-in sisterhood. Even when I was competing as an individual, um, I, the thing that I lacked as an individual competitor was I was not super like just cutthroat, ruthless. Like, I just don't have that personality. I'm very intense when I compete, but I just like to be friends with everyone. Like, I don't like any, I don't, I don't like drama. I don't like having bad blood. So that's one of the reasons why I work really well in group because um, right away, like uh, all I want to do is like lift people up and like bring my team together. And like, I love working, like the feeling of um, going on the carpet with four other people next to you is so different than going on the carpet, like alone. It, I remember the first time I competed in group, um, me and my, my, one of my best friends on the team, Lisa, we both came to group at the same time. And it was both both of our first time competing in group at like a small national competition. I remember like afterwards we were like, that was so cool. <laughs> like I like wasn't even nervous. But of course, as time goes on, you do start to get nervous again. But um, but um, but yeah, it was it, it it was really cool having it's just really cool having like such a like we have such a healthy relationship with each other. Um, I, I see a difference from from the US team, from a lot of other teams internationally, like we're never rude to each other. We like don't have major drama or issues. Like all we want to do is like lift each other up. Even if people are having bad practice days, like we try our best not to like get annoyed at them and get mad at them, like, because it's just not gonna help them do better. It's only gonna make them feel worse. So um, it's just like, we just became like literal sisters and they're like the closest people to me in my life. Um, and I had never had that before to that level. We had a, like a lot of different personalities mixing in that way. And we all had our brought our own strengths, but it's definitely difficult when like, you know, maybe there was a day when like someone wasn't at a hundred percent and like, like you, you always have those days where it feels like there's someone who's like bringing the team down. Like we've all been the person that's bringing the team down, but like, that's always a thing that's difficult to get through and like learn how to bring those people up back to their 100% level without like being rude. Um, and yeah, so that was probably definitely like personalities mixing wise that that was something that I had to get used to because not everyone has the same way of working as you do. And like, that's okay. But did you, I was like, you're not necessarily used to that. And it can be frustrating. By virtue of being slightly more seasoned and mature by the time she reached level 10 and the US national team, Connor had an easier time dealing with the burnout and cutthroat mentality present in early specialization sports. A lot of coaches would push their gymnasts to just like be incredible by the time they're like 12 or 13. And a lot of them actually like ended up quitting in a, within a couple of years and burning out completely or with really bad back and hip injuries and stuff like that. Because before you're on national team, 
at the time, and I believe right now, there's really no resources available to you, like sports psychology, mental health, that kind of thing, like at all. Like you have to do that yourself. I chose to work with a sports psychologist starting when I was like 14 or 15, just because my issue was always like self-doubt. Um, and like when I was younger, I had, I would get really like nervous before competition stage fright wise, but I later on, it was just, it was just a self-doubt thing. Um, my biggest obstacle was always my own mind. And, um, those resources like mental health resources don't become available to you until you make national team. And even when you make national team, like they just now this year, like a couple months ago made the team USA, like mental health fund, um, which is applicable to like everyone on team USA. It's not just like sports based. So they'll like, if you, if you don't get in with a therapist who's within um, the USOPC, they'll like reimburse you for your mental health costs and everything. But that was not a thing before. Like if you, it was either you um, worked with the team sports psychologists that they had, which a lot of people like were wary about doing just because everyone went to the same psychologist and they talked to the coaches and, you know, people were scared of like information getting out. Um, there was not really much things available to you in the like early like a couple of years ago if you didn't want to work with your like USAG like team sports psychologist. Working with a third-party sports psychology professional also kept Connor in check when thoughts that she had aged out of her Olympic dreams entered her mind. She went through a tough period of self-doubt, severe anxiety, and depression in 2018, which forced her to confront her place on the team and how gymnastics would fit into her future. As of 2017, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee features numerous resources for those with mental health struggles, including a nationwide registry of 150 sports psychologists who help in person and via Zoom and phone. Partnerships with the University of Utah and UC San Diego Health also assist regionally. In 2020, the USOPC also designated three independent mental health officers to better address the, quote, holistic needs of Team USA athletes Tokyo 2020 was kind of the theme of the whole thing, especially in the U.S., was like mental health awareness. You saw so many athletes coming out about, you know, mental health struggles and and getting help. And, you know, you saw in the last couple of years, Michael Phelps coming out about struggling with being suicidal and like all of that kind of stuff. And I think just because so many athletes decided to advocate for that and be open about that just with there's such a huge stigma in sports with with experiencing mental health problems um i think they and you know there are quite a few cases where just people's mental health was not prioritized and treated well in different sports in team usa like i think they kind of realized that they like had to do something and listen to the athletes um, and just make it a bit easier for people to get help because, I mean, you're just exposed to so much pressure when you're that level of an athlete, like if you're an Olympic level athlete. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm so thrilled to be working with them on another episode. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? All the stories I've told thus far have been the vulnerabilities of elite athletes and team personnel. But what happens before they're comfortable speaking out about some of the most difficult times in their lives on such a public forum? Nearly all of them, including Izzy, have utilized either a sports psychologist or a therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, 
BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for All Closure Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closure mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closure mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. When Connor officially joined the national team and began training for Tokyo 2020, she realized very quickly that even without traditional sports psychology principles and practices, her teammates would mentally regulate themselves. So my team is like primarily Russian. I'm not Russian, but they're, you know, Russians are very superstitious. So they have a lot of, um, a lot of them have a lot of little superstition things that they need to do. So one of the things was before we leave for a competition, um, we all would go into one like hotel room together and um, we all have to like sit down for like a couple seconds. And like some people just sit in silence, some people say a prayer. And then you say um, like with God in Russian and we like get up and you're like not allowed to look in the mirror when you leave and like there's all this stuff. But um, and then um, when we're at the gym, like before before we go on to compete, um, we we have a mascot. His name's Marty. He's this little zebra stuffed animal. And we all like hold a leg of him and um, and we scream, hey, hey, USA, let's go all the way. Um, and we kind of like have a little talk before, um, and then we all like kiss him. Um, and then also right before we compete, we all like hold hands and we take like one breath together and like kind of just tell each other, you know, what, uh, what we need to focus on in this routine, like get on the same page, like encourage each other. Um, we all hug each other before we go. Some people like kiss their apparatus, um, yeah that's and then my coach she does a special little little, like thing to us before every time we would compete she would just like kiss us all on the head and say all good um and then give us a little tap on the butt before we go and compete so yeah we have a lot of little like rituals (laughs) for me personally like i had personal things that like i just needed to do before i compete and those the things that like help me with my um you know just make sure that i'm in the right headspace before i compete um, I have like a notebook that has like affirmations um, that I would like change here and there. But um, usually when I changed into my like Leo, I would go in the bathroom and just like read over them um, just to boost my confidence. And um, before I would compete, I'd kind of just like take a few deep breaths and like close my eyes and just like let my mind go blank and imagine like all of the energy in my body, like going into a ball of light above my head. It's kind of like a meditation thing because I also meditate pretty regularly, especially when I'm um, training, like meditation and visualization for me, like changed the game. It helped me be so much more consistent and so much more calm and like really brought me to my like peak, like flow state. 
Um, and I know a lot of other athletes use that as well. In a sport with a set routine and points to hit, Connor found that a complete visualization of her technique helped tremendously ahead of competition. She felt comfortable enough in the process to lead it herself. Visualization, I've honestly been doing that since I was like probably like 13 or 14. Um, but I started doing it in a much more like intentional, like I would meditate beforehand kind of way when I got older. And um, I just noticed when, when I am disciplined about like, you know, if it's like two weeks out from a big competition, like world championships or something like that. Um, if I do that every day before I go to training, like I do a focus meditation and then, you know, visualize my routines. And also it's not just like visualizing the routines, like I, what was important for me, what my team started doing was like, really like imagining the feeling of like having a good routine or like qualifying for the Olympics. Um, just imagining the feeling of the things that you want to happen going right. That's kind of a little bit of a manifestation technique, but you know, it helps. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was like, just really, really, really important for me. And like, especially if you're injured, um, just when you can't be training physically, it really helps your, your muscle memory, actually, even if you're doing it in your head. Visualization of the body movements and dance sequences takes time to perfect, just as the dance itself did. The U.S. brings in choreographers from across the world to assist in crafting the perfect moves. So normally we bring in a choreographer um, from another country. We've worked with like some from Russia and Bulgaria, um, and they'll come and they'll work with us for a couple days, or sometimes we'll have like a, a dance choreographer come in. Um, so we'll work with them for a couple of days. We usually choose like just five to learn the routine because it's hard to switch people in and out when we're actually learning a routine. And then the other people will be on the side. And as we got older, like the last two years, um, definitely. And obviously our coach would be there too and helping with that thing. Cause it's, it's basically all about like putting together like the dance aspect and like the musicality aspect with the actual like difficulty and points that we need to put in our routine and like just figuring out how to put it together the best way. Um, and as we got older, um, we would definitely get a little bit more input. Like, you know, the choreographer would ask us like, okay, what do you like, what do you feel during this music? Like how, what, like just go and like dance and like, I'm going to choose something and like, we'd make suggestions and stuff like that. So, um, but it's definitely more so involved with like the choreographer and the coach with that and putting that kind of stuff together. In order to earn as many points as possible, the rhythmic gymnasts are judged upon composition difficulty, artistic value, which includes the choreography, elements, and presentation. And a third panel judges just the routine's execution. Connor says that sometimes the choreographer will allow the athletes a bit of creativity with the movements, and that produced one of Connor's favorite routines. Honestly, I think our our ball routine in uh 2020 in the last year or 2021 um just because we finally we really wanted to have like classic like fun american music and we just like our coach found this piece of music actually it was um bon jovi it's my life and it was like a remix of it and it was just so perfect for coming back from quarantine because the lyrics were like you know it's now or never and just all about like working hard and like not giving up um and I think we all just connected so much to that music and it was just such a fun routine. I mean, the the code of points that year, 
made it so that dance was not at the forefront. It was like a lot of difficulty, but like music wise and feeling wise, that was definitely my favorite routine. Um, Cause I definitely preferred when we were able to have more dance in our routines. Um, but yeah, that was probably my favorite routine. The years and routines ahead of the 2020 season were spent all over the world. Connor and her team competed in the 2018 World Championship in Sofia, Bulgaria for a 14th overall finish, followed by the 2018 Pan American Championship in Lima, Peru, where the team brought home silvers in the all-around and three balls and two ropes competitions. That was followed in 2019 by a trip back to Lima for the 2019 Pan American Games and another pair of silver medals in the all-around and five balls routines. Getting silver at the Pan American Games was like, it was just really awesome. Um, just it felt like mini Olympics so it was a really like I think a lot of us especially for me like when I went to Pan American Games I was like okay I like really want to go to the Olympics now because like if this is so fun like just imagine what the Olympics is going to be like because you know you have all different sports um and I've talked about this before but like when um when we got our silver medals at, in, in Peru, when we came back into the um, dining hall, like we were like wearing our silver medals because a lot of athletes would do that. They would come into the dining hall wearing their medals and like, just like the whole dining hall, like applauds you and like everyone from Team USA is like cheering you on. It's just, it's so cool. Um, yeah, that was, that was a lot, a lot of fun. The Mexican teams brought home the gold both times ahead of Connor in the American presence and the U.S. national team would eventually meet those same Mexican athletes on the world stage in Tokyo, Japan, in 2021. Connor's group had a prolonged training hiatus after the success of 2019. Months went by with no group trainings. Zoom workouts felt disjointed. The U.S. team longed for the day when they would be together again. When news broke that the Summer Olympics would be postponed, Connor nearly made the decision to officially retire. She was college-aged and ready to move on to her next life stage, a crisis over whether she was still passionate enough to endure another year of training ensued. She stuck with her team through the mounting adversity, though, and suddenly she was living through historic changes to the U.S. gymnastics coaching culture. When the Olympics were canceled, that was really hard because um, we were we had been like trying like to as full out as we can like train over zoom but we couldn't train together which is like individuals like you can do some training together a lot of other sports um i mean training on your own like a lot of other sports they have you know they can if running they can run outside on track it doesn't really like affect their training but like we could not train together and we were out of training for like three and a half months which is the longest we've ever not trained um and also compared to other countries most other countries had like two weeks where they weren't training so they were actually training through quarantine so and we were not um so and also just like during that time like just there was so much uncertainty about like whether the olympics were actually going to happen like at this point i was supposed to go to college the next year so I had to decide to push my college back another year third year everyone had to do that if they were already accepted into colleges um it was just hard because we had already like we kind of had like planned our life out towards that point um so yeah but definitely a lot of us struggled mentally over quarantine just because there was just so much uncertainty about the Olympics and a lot of people were weighing whether they should just quit or if they should continue, whether they wanted to do another year of that training. But also for us over quarantine, um, there was a lot of pauses that came out of it because 
um, just in general, like the environment that we were training in pre 2020 was definitely not the most healthy thing in the world. Um, just in rhythmic gymnastics, there, there are huge issues with, you know, a mental, mental abuse, like that kind of stuff, just in gymnastics as well. I mean, there's a whole uprising going on in artistic gymnastics about it, and it's finally starting in rhythmic gymnastics as well. Um, you know, just eating disorders, mental health issues are like rabid in rhythmic gymnastics and not a lot of people talk about it. Um, and, you know, it kind of came to a point where it needed to be addressed. Um, and over quarantine, we kind of had a moment where we all learned just so much more about each other. And we became much more open with my coach and we gained, like, we kind of just vowed that when we were going to come back, like, certain things were gonna change and it was going to be a better environment for us. And that ended up happening. Like there was just a new level of like respect and love for one another and just like motivation and like healthy coaching methods and healthy training methods. Um, and that was something that we really gained as a plus through quarantine. Um, and I'm glad that I got to see that happen while I was still in the sport, because I didn't ever think that I would see something like that happen um, while I was still training and competing. Like I thought that I would have to, I, I wanted to help with that movement and like help get rid of abusive co coaching methods because this is just the way that things have done for a long time. It's not always intentional. It's just the only thing that, that anyone knows what to do, like especially older coaches. Um, and to have such an incredible coach who's who always told us that like the more she learns she realizes the less she knows and she always wants to learn more from other coaches and other sports and everything like that's one of the reasons why she's such an incredible coach because she's always willing to learn and do what's best for her athletes we were terrified to talk about this kind of stuff and like i remember the first time that i was open with my coach about like my personal mental health struggles um like terrifying because uh, it's just not something that at, especially at the time when I opened up like not a thing that is talked about openly and you know I thought I was going to get kicked off of the team and um just like yeah I, I just had no idea that it was actually quite common and okay to be an elite athlete and struggle with anxiety and depression and things like that like a lot of people do um and um so going into having a conversation with like your coach and like people in usag like it's definitely scary but i think the one thing at that point was like we only had um there were like five of us left so it was kind of like we needed to have this conversation and this was a time when we knew that we had nothing to lose so um yeah that was kind of what it was it was like we we only had five people left and we needed more people anyways. So um, they kind of had to do something. I just know we were all much happier like that coming year. Uh, it was, we we were like just endlessly grateful that um, they took it seriously. And um, yeah, I, I, just, I just think none of us thought that we would actually see that kind of thing happen and we just all became so much more open with each other and our coaches and it really improved like the way that we trained and our relationships with each other.
Suddenly, an improved environment produced an Olympic berth for the United States. Connor's team was only the third rhythmic gymnastics team that the U.S. had ever sent to the Olympics, and the first full team of seven ever to represent the United States. Yeah, my team made a lot of history. Like, um, we, in, in 2019, we were the first time ever that the U.S. group has qualified in the top 10 in the world, and that origin- that ended up being why we qualified to the Olympics. Um, and yeah, um, going into the Olympics that, uh, the first, it was the first time that we, we also had two individuals. We've only ever had one individual go to the Olympics along with a group. And in general, we've only ever had one individual at an Olympic games. Um, but we had the, the maximum amount of athletes that a rhythmic gymnastics team can have. We had two individuals and then we had the group that, that qualified from world championships and Aside from the the very first team, and I think it was like 1984 or something like that, when there was only like nine groups in the whole of the, like the, the, the field was very small, um, or nine or 10 groups, the field was very, very small. Um, our, our finish, like 11th in the Olympic Games, even though we were definitely hoping that we could make um, finals, I think we were quite happy with how we finished because that is the highest aside from the time that um that team they they placed 10th but it was not a full field like us qual us placing 11th is the highest that the U.S. has ever placed aside from that um so we were just really happy with that I never thought that I would make it to the Olympics and it wasn't my main dream until like two years before the Olympics like I I just did not think that I don't know. I just didn't think that it was realistic. And I also have been much more successful having like small goals and not focusing on like huge, big things and just focusing on like being the best version of myself every day. Um, that was what really helps me to like improve every day. And like, just as long as my motivations are coming from inside myself, it's much more longstanding than having your only motivations be material goals because like you know i've experienced having no more motivation in yourself and having these material goals mean nothing so um so yeah it was just very it, it was surreal that we ended up qualifying to the olympics and going and you know one of the best experiences of our lives a lot of us did almost retire and and really going we didn't know until about like a month before the olympics that we even qualified um, and there was uncertainty about the Olympics happening until about like three months before they happened. Um, so the whole thing, it was just like, we just had to kind of shut off the news and like all of that stuff. And just like, you had to just keep going for yourself because it's like, like it, it would have been so bad if we had decided to retire and then the Olympics happens and we just because we thought that they weren't going to happen and they ended up happening like that would have been the most heartbreaking thing ever so I think that was why a lot of us decided to stay I mean obviously we wish that there could have been audience and like our parents could have been there watching us but overall like it was just so much fun I mean obviously it was very stressful like extremely stressful I, I don't think anything can prepare you for like going to your first Olympics and just the pressure and the mental stress that comes with that because like you just can't even wrap your head around it. The only thing you can really do is just try and tell yourself that like this is just another competition but at the same time like it's not. <laughs> um, but um, it's it 
just there's so many people that you meet and the village is just so cool and everyone is rooting for you and especially at the 2020 olympics like everyone had been through a very similar thing so everyone like knew what the other what other athletes have been to been through so you could just like talk to anyone and just have like really awesome conversations and um and yeah it was it was awesome Connor officially retired after her appearance in Tokyo in order to pursue an astrophysics degree from UC Santa Cruz and a minor in psychology. Yeah, so I'm studying astrophysics. Um, it's very hard, but it's really cool. Um, and just also just like having gone to the Olympics, it's opened like so many doors for me in general. It just kind of gives you a new level of respect to other people. Um, so I've been able to get a lot of really cool opportunities already, but um, but yeah, so I have always been interested in outer space since I was really young. Um, and in the movie Interstellar was kind of what made me really, really want to study like the physics and the science of outer space, especially like black holes. Like that's what I want to study, black holes. Um, and I mean, it was definitely on the back burner while I was training, but I knew that that was what I wanted to do coming into college. Um, I'm definitely like my strong suit is definitely not math. So like I'm a very I'm actually a very like logical, pragmatic person in general. I am creative in like other ways, but um, thinking wise, I'm actually like very logical. Um, so the math is hard and it doesn't come naturally to me. It takes a lot of work, but um, I'm kind of willing to do that in order to do what I want to do because you know I like being challenged I don't like doing things that are like really easy for me because if I really wanted to I could I don't know be an English major because English comes English and writing and those kind of things they come very easily to me um but I also do want to do a psych minor because I was between being a psych major and astrophysics and I just decided I'll do a psych minor because I'm just really passionate about like I want to in the future work as much as I can with USAG and the USOPC with just mental health things and that kind of stuff. Having gotten through what I got through in 2018 with like a lot of anxiety and depression and having come out of it and seeing like a lot of people around me struggling and not saying anything and just with the rise of the mental health movement and seeing just how taboo it was to talk about and um, that was what really made me want to help other people get through it because I want because when I was going through it I didn't think that I would end up where I am and I didn't think I would get through it and there's a lot of people who think that and like all I want to do is like help others realize that they can and get more resources and have this be more of a normal thing to talk about um and I also like I love writing writing became something that was like very cathartic for me um when I was going through everything and I've continued writing and like I write a lot of poetry and things like that and like I would love to find a way to use that um you know I've started writing much more openly on my Instagram and like posting some of my poetry so I'd love to do as much as I can to like use that tool like I've been thinking of publishing a poetry book so like I don't know yeah now Connor's challenging both the artistic and analytical parts of her brain outside of gymnastics and she's left her athlete days behind her I really didn't like decide fully that I was going to retire until like probably like 
October, September, um, because I was still kind of like, maybe it, you know, maybe I'll go for the next Olympics. I don't know. We'll see. I'm just going to start college, see how it goes. Um, but you know, I just kind of realized I don't really have, I've fulfilled everything that I needed to fulfill. If I went back to another Olympics, I would probably just be chasing another, like that feeling again, just another high, which you can't just go around life chasing highs. Like if you have no, I, I don't think I have enough motivation to want to do all of that again. Um, I feel fulfilled with what I've done. So, so there's that. And then um, I'm definitely still going, and I will be going through the transition process for like a while. Um, Cause it's just like, it's very hard to like explain and put into words, but when the only thing you've ever really known is going towards this one, this one big goal um, of the Olympics, if you think of it in the long run, like I went there when I was 21 years old, I still have like the entire rest of my life ahead of me. And to never have really realized that like, there's gonna be a part of my life when I'm not gonna have that huge goal that I'm working towards, it's very hard to wrap your head around. And it's, you know, it's a grief process, it's like, it's literally grieving the loss of like, like I don't have my teammates with me anymore. Like just the sport that I've been so used to doing all day, every day, and has been a huge part of my identity. I don't have that anymore. Um, and, and, you know, I have done a lot of work to find my identity outside of gymnastics, luckily, while I was in the sport still in my last like couple of years, but that's, that's still inevitably it's okay. Like that is a huge part of your identity. And, you know, I had never really fully realized that like, there's going to be a, a whole rest and part of my life where I'm not competing and training and doing gymnastics. Like gymnastics is not the only thing in life. Um, so it's definitely, it was definitely a really rough first quarter for me, like mentally. And luckily, like I have a lot of people, I, I have made some really close friends here at UC Santa Cruz and just like parents and like psychologists and stuff like just making sure that you know, I'm, I'm okay. And like, I'm making like structure for myself. Cause that's another big thing is like, I'm used to, you're used to your days just being planned out for you. Like you get up, you eat breakfast at the same time every morning, you go to training, you take a nap, you have second training, you go to sleep and you do it all over again. And we don't, I don't have that structure anymore. My day, I can do whatever I want with it. So, um, especially with classes being online. So, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's still a process that I'm going through, but I'm definitely, I've kind of like, I'm starting to get the hang of it. And, you know, I'm excited now for the things that I'm going to do with this career. Like I just got a fellowship for the summer that's paid for, like it's a research fellowship for astrophysics for like minorities in STEM. So like, I'm starting to see like other opportunities take off, like other doors open. And that's like given me a lot of like, just a lot of like encouragement and feel much better with like how this transition is going. So that there's a lot of parts of me that make me me aside from rhythmic gymnastics, even though that is a huge part of me and like it's going to take a long time for that like hole to be filled, but like that's okay. That's the end of episode 49 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellet. I hope you enjoyed Izzy's story. You can follow her on Instagram at izzy.connor. You can also follow at Closer Mental to keep up with all of our content, and Izzy and I's full interview is now posted to the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. The link to that is in the show notes as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Closer Mentality. 
I have another great episode next week when nutritionist and eating disorder survivor Denver comes on to talk about positive relationships with food and how elite performance relies on it. It's a great episode. But until then, see you next week.